WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports, Lou Dobbs, Business. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yeah, that's me. Five o'clock. Good morning. It is Tuesday, May 23rd. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sun clouds today, high 68. Tonight, overnight, clear, low 53, and then tomorrow, much of the same. Sunshine, high 73. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 50 partly cloudy in Slotesburg up in Rockland County, 56 and cloudy down the shore in Point Pleasant, New Jersey, and it's 55 and clear here in Midtown. The um, big story here at 77 WABC today is that Governor Cuomo going to sit down, no holds barred, interviewed with uh, Rita Cosby. This is 4 o'clock this afternoon here on 77 WABC. The governor agreeing to answer any and all questions. I think he's going to take phone calls as well. I had people uh, tweeting at me and even a couple emails from people asking if I could do something to stop this. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm flattered that you'd think I'd have the power power to do that to stop the interview but um i don't and i wouldn't and i know there's a lot of people who are incredibly upset that he's going to be on um because of obviously a number of scandals during his administration or they're just not fans of course the deaths of senior citizens in nursing homes during covid uh the workplace sex harassment suit that brought the governor down but uh what i love about working for john and margo and i know it's going to sound like i'm smooching their tuchas but i'm not the reason i love working for them is they've always felt this way and from day one i've been here what eight months now is that all voices should be heard and then you can make your own decision so so uh, that is why the governor will be on for an entire, uh, entire hour with Rita, Rita at uh, 4 o'clock. And uh, I was uh, listening to some of the questions they were putting together. I think there's some good ones ready to go. And what I think is great about this as well is you'll get that full hour with Governor Cuomo at 4 o'clock. And then right afterwards, 5 o'clock, is Katz and Cosby. And they have their BS detectors up. So they're going to rummage through everything the governor said during that 5 o'clock hour and figure out what they think is actually correct and what they think is not. So you can hear it all. It is, again, Governor Cuomo at 4 o'clock this afternoon for an hour with Rita Cosby. There's no questions off the table. She can ask whatever she wants. And then at 5 o'clock, the normal Katz and Cosby show, where they'll go through, I'm sure, at least for part of that hour anyway, about what the governor spoke about and have their own analysis of it all. So I think in all said and done, it's a good thing. I want to hear from everybody. That's I've, I've always felt that way. The more voices, the better. All right, let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. The MTA is about to raise fares just about everywhere. It looks like Nassau County is going to get a casino. Governor Hochul says the migrants should all be able to get jobs. Tim Scott says he's the best shot Republicans have to get back the White House. And it's early in the season. 
but a shark has already taken a bite out of someone at the Jersey Shore. All right, let's get into it. 504, we'll start with that MTA increase on the subways, on the bridges, on the tunnels. MTA proposing an increase to the subway and bus fare to 290. This would be by Labor Day. It's a 15 cent increase to people who pay the full fare, don't get the monthly pass, the weekly pass. It is the first fare hike since 2019. They did not raise the fare during the pandemic, but of course, is there anybody who likes a fair hike? Nobody likes it, but here's some riders. A lot of stations are, you know, they're still dirty. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're not in commission as often. You know, it's a lot of, it's just, I don't see, I don't see the benefit in, in raising the price right now. If that's what they feel they have to do, then I, I understand because I can't afford it. I'm sorry. I mean, I love you, but I'll be walking. Weekly Metro cards would increase a dollar to $34. 30-day Metro cards would go up $5 to $132. Express bus fare increased a quarter to a seven and seven day bus fare passes would go from, um, go up $2. So, uh, you know, not anybody, there isn't anybody who thinks this is good. It's a business. You know what I'm saying? Everything is a business. So they're going to make their money one way or the other. You know what I'm saying? So. DMTA board members say the hike could have been higher, and that I guess we should be happy with this one. These small, frequent fare and toll adjustments um, avert radical fare and toll uh, fluctuations. That's good news. It will not be as high as it could have been. So here's the question I have. First, they'll have these public hearings where you get to weigh in, which, by the way, wink, wink is all nonsense because they've got to vote this thing in no matter what. Right. All these hearings. There's nobody who gets up at these public hearings and says, oh, yeah, no, I'm in favor of a fair hike. Never does that happen. And then they hand it to the MTA board after those fair hearings and then the board approves it. So assume this is going to happen come Labor Day. But the question I have is last week, the MTA announced that they had lost a billion dollars or they're on track to lose a billion dollars in fair evasion in this year. Right. So. Is this fair hike to make up for that billion? How about collecting from those people who haven't paid for a long time? Well, they're trying to figure it out, but they haven't been able to. Anyway, so those uh, those public hearings are going to happen this summer. Likely this uh, fair hike is going to happen come September Labor Day. 506, uh, the other big story of the morning, the full Nassau County legislator uh, giving the thumbs up to the Nassau Coliseum being transferred the lease there to this Las Vegas Sands out in Vegas. They're going to pave the way for this possible development of a casino and an entertainment resort. Uh, the lawmakers there, they voted almost unanimously, but first they had to sit through five hours of public comment. That's a lot. That money stays here, doesn't go elsewhere, which means all the money that you guys generate can go to schools, can go to commitments to make sure that you can do everything you can to build your communities, to provide opportunities. These will not be permanent jobs, and these are not jobs that are going to keep our young people here in the county. Yeah, it was the back and forth all night, 17 out of 19 legislators voting in favor of the lease transfer. The entertainment company's $4 billion proposal would include hotel rooms, restaurants, a performance space, and, of course, the one that will make them all the money, the casino. This project is a good thing. It will bring jobs to our county. We have a lot of concerns about this project. Our quality of life is not for sale. Say yes to our youth, to save our youth, and say no 
to the casino. Yeah, lawmakers, though, giving the green light last night. Las Vegas standstill has a bunch of obstacles to overcome, including zoning approval from the town of Hempstead. They also need a gaming license from the state to operate that casino. WABC News Time 509 New York is putting $146 million towards more than 70 economic development projects across the state. Let's get the latest on that now from 77 WABC's Alex Barnard, who joins us live. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Noam. And yes, that's right. Governor Hochul announced the funding in Kingston, which is receiving $10 million to revitalize iPark 87. We're sending a message to all the possible potential iPark tenants. Joe, we're sending a word out. You, you bring your business here. We'll give you one of the greatest workforces in the world. Hochul says the money will rehabilitate two decaying buildings that have been vacant since IBM left the site in 1995, turning the area into a workforce innovation center for cutting-edge companies. Not just for people who've been in this community and the kids who were born here now can stay here, but attracting people from other parts of our state and other parts of our country. Great opportunities. She also added that education partners will play a heavy role in training the workforce. Build and they will come, but let's have them come when they have skills. Let's have them here ready to step into these jobs so they can be productive. That's so much better for the employers. Meantime, the city of Auburn and Jefferson County are each receiving more than $8 million for renovation efforts. Any sign or any word of when any of these projects might actually get underway? There's uh, no real timeline yet that we know of. Hmm. And money, I assume, just coming from the tax base, $146 million, a lot of cash. Yeah, that is uh, that is a lot of cash, but yes, taxpayer money. All right. WEBC's Alex Barnard, thank you very much. Let's go down to D.C. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says he and President Biden had a productive discussion about the nation's debt ceiling. It was essentially a one-on-one meeting between the two. I felt we had a productive uh, discussion. We don't have an agreement yet, but I I did feel the discussion was productive in areas that we have differences of opinion. McCarthy says the government's still spending too much money. Biden said uh, he expressed some optimism before the meeting started. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says the U.S. could default on its debt as soon as June 1st if Congress doesn't raise the nation's borrowing limits. So these both these two leaders have a deadline they have to meet. The thing I want to tell America, I never wanted to be here. I never, I do not like the idea that you govern by chaos. You govern by a deadline. President Biden discussing some of the tax loopholes. We cut spending, but we, uh, here's a disagreement. We have to, I think we should be looking at tax loopholes and, uh, Make sure the wealthy pay their fair share. I think revenue matters. McCarthy trying to stay optimistic. He said they did find some common ground during this meeting. We can get a deal tonight. We get a deal tomorrow. But you've got to get something done this week to be able to pass it and move it to the Senate. I have the highest respect for the individuals he has down here working on it. People do have difference of opinion, just like in the country, but you have difference of opinion in your own household. All right, well, at least the two sides are talking. 512, let's go down to South Carolina. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott making it official yesterday. He's running in 2024 for the White House. Here he was yesterday making the announcement in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I'm running for president. Of the United States of America. Scott reflecting on his upbringing in a single parent household, claiming the U.S. a land of opportunity, not oppression. And he says his campaign is one that's going to be positive, optimistic about what could come. My mom was too busy. My dad wasn't there. I felt disillusioned and angry. And I was challenged, young man. I felt like the weight of the world 
was accumulating on my shoulders. I think a lot of the nation doesn't know a whole lot about Tim Scott, so maybe that could help him. The radical left is pushing us into a culture of grievance instead of a culture of greatness. Yeah, so he's raised some funds, some serious cash, uh, at least that's what his campaign says, to get this thing rolling. We'll see if he can get some traction over the next couple months. Anyone from anywhere at any time could rise above their wildest expectations and imagination. So he's the first one to jump into the race this week. The thought is, is that Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, will do the same this week. And former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie rumored to be jumping in as well. 514, let's go down to Florida where the NAACP warning African-Americans to stay away from Florida. NAAC President CEO Derek Johnson says it's about a political move by Governor Ron DeSantis. The governor is using his platform to advance some of the most regressive racist policies in his attempt to become the president of the United States. It was over the weekend that the group issued this formal travel advisory for the state. The organization cites what it calls the governor's aggressive attempts to erase black history and redistrict some programs in Florida schools. If we decide to move in this direction, it will take us backwards to the Trump years or to the 1950s. He's seeking to amplify the voice of a small minority of individuals who, who lack any integrity or morality in, in terms of their neighbors and other individuals. Of course, the big question is, will individual African-Americans or people who support the NAACP follow along like this? Uh, The other deal is, of course, big conventions, that kind of thing that uh, appeal to African-American groups. That may be what hurts Florida. Some of those may pull their conventions, their meetings and stuff like that out of Florida. We'll have to watch and wait and see. All right, 515, let's head over to the 77WABC Sports Desk and say good morning. Happy Tuesday, Justin Allen. Well, good morning and happy Tuesday to you, Noma Alladen. And we'll start on the hardwood here. The Denver Nuggets beat the Los Angeles Lakers 113 to 111 in game four of the Western Conference Finals to complete the sweep of L.A., and move on to the franchise's first ever NBA Finals appearance. LeBron James made waves following his squad's elimination from the playoffs, speaking on the possibility of his retirement this offseason following 20 historic NBA seasons. It's all about availability for me and um, keeping my mind sharp and things of that nature. It's challenging. It's challenging, you know, for sure. It was a very challenging season. We'll see see what happens going forward. But I don't know. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. I had a lot to think about, to be honest. And um, just for me personally, going going forward with the game of basketball, got a lot to think about. A lot to think about, indeed. As for the Nuggets. Was he going to wait for his kid to come play basketball? Yeah, right? that's what every, so that, That's why I think it's, you know, he, he's just trying to stay in uh, stay in the headlines here. It's a, big, it's a big cloud-chasing thing. He's not going to retire. How long would he have to wait his, for his kid Well, what's come? the rule? I think in the NCAA now, it's two years you have to yeah, play? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you have to play two years. So uh, his kid's got to play two years at USC. Oh, that's a long time. So it's at least, at least two years. Hmm. I would imagine his kid would rush into the NBA after two years. And then whoever drafts uh, Bronny Jr. gets uh, both chances. LeBron, too, yeah. Yeah, how about that? Hmm. (laughs) He'll stick around. I'm willing to bet. As for the Nuggets, they'll await to the winner of the Heat and Celtics series to see who they'll tip it off with in the finals. Game four of that Eastern Conference Finals set for tonight at 8.30 p.m. in Miami with the Heat looking to put away Boston up three games to none on the ice in Florida. The Panthers outlasted the Carolina Hurricanes 1-0 in game three of the East Final to take a commanding three games to none seriously. He does for the West Final. The Vegas Golden Knights and Dallas Stars will meet for game three of that series tonight at 8 p.m. in Dallas. 
Vegas currently holds a two games to none series lead. And in baseball, the Mets and Yankees enjoyed off days yesterday and both get set to return to action tonight. The Yankees open up a big three-game set against the ALE second-place Baltimore Orioles in the Bronx tonight at 7.05 p.m. That'll be the ace and Garrett Cole getting the ball against Baltimore's Kyle Bradish. As for the Metropolitans, they'll get a three-game set against the Cubs underway tonight in the Windy City on Chicago at 7.40 p.m. Eastern Time. Kodai Senga gets the nod going up against Chicago's Drew Smiley. And Noam Landon, here was sports on 77 WABC. I'm Thanks. Justin Alec. You are. Thank you very much, Justin. WABC News Time 519. Let's go down to Texas. Eight more women now part of a massive lawsuit targeting Texas's near total ban on abortions. One of them is Jessica Bernardo, who was told that she could not abort her dying baby, even though her life was in danger, too. Emma's heart was still beating. And the state's confusing new abortion law prevented doctors from treating me. They're now 15 people signed on to this lawsuit. They were blocked from ending their pregnancies despite dangerous complications. The women represented by the Center for Reproductive Rights, which is asking the court for a temporary injunction, blocking the part of the law that applies to pregnancy complications. I remember saying to my doctor, we have a place in Colorado. And as if in secret code, she said yes. I think you should go to Colorado. Bernardo says she was forced to travel out of state to get that abortion that saved her life. The fact that we had to fly out of state for a procedure that would protect my life was worse than cruel. 520 down to Florida, the former Parkland, Florida school resource officer who did not confront school shooter Nicholas Cruz back on February 14th, 2018. He was back in court yesterday ahead of his child neglect and negligence and perjury trial. Just the whole shooting just comes back. We just relive it. The judge announced he will not decide yet if he'll allow jurors in the Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High Building where the shooting occurred. Prosecutors want them to see everything. The defense suggests it's too gruesome and the jurors should just be taken to the outside of the school building. You can look at it all you want, but in order to be able to, to get the full picture, you can't leave out the inside of the building. The defense disagrees. Unless they are sociopaths or in a coma. They will forever be emotionally traumatized by having to walk through that building. The judge, Martin Fine, laying out his plan for selecting a jury. Between May 31st and June 2nd, we're going to get 500 citizens to come through. And judge is denying the defense motion to delay the trial by another 75 days because witnesses are all not available. Quite candidly, I'm just not moved when I read something that says someone's going to the Keys or someone's going to Tallahassee. They can't come back here for one day. To testify. They don't have a choice, sir. That's why we serve them. And while we're talking school shoes, let's go down to Uvalde, Texas, where the mayor there, frustrated that nobody's been held accountable one year after the murder of 19 students and two teachers there. It's been a bunch of BS, and we've been a year, and we're still waiting for answers that we are. But we're moving forward to get those answers. Mayor Don McLaughlin says there's been an ongoing feud between the city and the Uvalde district attorney over access to records of what took place that day. At least five officers who were there that day have been either fired or have resigned. I know it's been a year, and I can tell you from where I'm sitting, it's been as frustrating as hell. And the mayor says he's still in the dark about exactly what happened that day because he hasn't been able to see all the records of what took place. I'm the mayor. I've been one year. I haven't got one briefing from anybody from day one. Not one. Nor is the county judge. That's very frustrating. And let's bring that story back here. The Half Hollows of High Central School District out on Long Island. 
considering adding armed security guards at each of their schools. An armed guard would be stationed inside an unmarked vehicle at the perimeter of each school property during school hours. Superintendent went on to say the armed guards would only enter the school in the event of an armed intruder. Neighbors uh, telling News 12 that they like the idea of armed guards on campus. With everything that's happened in this country and this nation, I believe that there should be some kind of armed security in schools to protect our children and our teachers. Absolutely, without a doubt. You cannot put a price on the well-being and the lives of our children. Parents within the district now being asked to take the survey to give their opinions on the proposal. The survey comes after a board meeting a couple of weeks ago about the current security in the district and what enhancing the security would look like if armed guards were added. According to the school district, the armed security guard proposal would cost about a million dollars a year. Uh, Other Long Island school districts, by the way, have already added armed guards, including South Huntington, Montauk, and Massapequa. 524, it's still this huge story of the migrants uh, coming here to the city. Not as many are coming each day now as they were in the last week, but still an issue of where to put them all. Governor Kathy Hochul, Mayor Adams holding a dual press conference yesterday, urging the federal government to quickly authorize working papers for the migrants. We have one message. Let them work. They're ready to work. They're willing to work. And they're not able to work. The two say there are thousands of farm, food services and cleaning jobs that are open statewide and these migrants could fill those. This is a great opportunity here in the state of New York to solve two problems. How to help these people get on their feet and support their families. And Mayor Adams says there's an underground market now that's created where the migrants are being exploited and unable to pay taxes. It is creating an underground market. Where individuals could be exploited, unable to pay into our tax base. Yeah, I think I just said that. The current work authorization process leaves migrants in limbo for about 180 days after legally filing for asylum, unable to legally get work. And they want to make it 30 days is what the governor and the mayor do. Meanwhile... Governor Hochul criticizing county government leaders for their fierce resistance to accepting migrants from the city. Uh, Rockland County has said no. Nassau County has said no. Suffolk County has said no. Any rejection of migrants coming is also hurting their employers. And in rural areas, it's hurting their farmers. It's hurting their small businesses. Hochul had a call with local government leaders yesterday. I understand hesitation of the unknown. But these individuals are coming with full financial support backing them, so there's not a burden financially on the local communities. And WABC's Bob Brown was at the Migrant Processing Center at the Roosevelt Hotel yesterday. Buses continue to arrive at the Roosevelt Hotel in Midtown, dropping off weary migrants looking for a fresh start in the United States. Francisco arriving from Ecuador with his young family. He said he had to leave Ecuador because the situation there is unbearable. I don't know if you know that there's a very big uproar there politically, but on top of that, he says that the delinquency, it's out of control. He was uh, assaulted a couple of times. You can work. You can provide for your families. Mayor Adams forced to deal with the migrant crisis, pleading with the feds to cut through the red tape and speed up paperwork in getting migrants approval to legally work here, a process which normally takes months. Francisco drove a cab in his homeland, 
All he and the mother of his young family want to do is work and raise their family here. They're very thankful to be here. More than 70,000 migrants arrived in New York City in the past year. I'm Bob Brown for 77 WABC News. I'm just getting started on this early Tuesday morning. Before we leave at 6 o'clock, we'll get into these stories. The doctor is still walking the picket line at Elmhurst Hospital in Queens. We'll tell you what they're doing to fill those holes today. Police in Lakewood, New Jersey, want to know if it was an attack on the Orthodox Jewish community there. Someone threw some sort of explosive out of a window. They're looking for that person. Uh, we get the latest details on that creep who shoved a woman into a subway train here in Midtown. And there's a new uh, angle and maybe a new theory about these two kids we have been talking about the last 10 days, the ones who went missing in Manhattan and then ended up dead in the Hudson and Harlem rivers. There's a new theory. You're going to want to hear that and more. But first, let's hear this. The 77. The same salary as their counterparts in Manhattan. They're all trained in the same place, but some of those doctors go to the public hospital at Elmhurst to get less pay. The others go to Mount Sinai, a private private hospital where they, on average, get about $7,000 more a year. Uh, so the resident doctors in Elmhurst say, hey, what's up with that? We should get the same pay. For Mount Sinai to give their Upper East Side you know, residents a certain salary that's greater than $7,000 more than what we earn is a slap in our face. We don't feel supported by our employer. Contract negotiations have been going on for nearly a year. Elmhurst Hospital says they've met with these doctors at least a dozen times. They say they've given them generous proposals of how to raise their uh, salary, but the doctor's not going for it. Say they'll be out for at least five days anyway. It begs the question, why is that the case? Why are they trying to, is this a union-busting ta- technique or tactic? And uh, that's what it's feeling like at this point. The workers everywhere continue to prevail, and so will we. So there is a contingency plan in place. They've been offering cash to other doctors to come in and take over for some of the things these residency doctors are doing. It is the first doctor strike at Elmhurst Hospital in three decades. Down to the subway, police continue to look for this creep who approached a woman from behind, shoved her head into a subway train. This was the Upper East Side Sunday morning. The attack took place 6 a.m. platform of the Lexington Avenue 63rd Street Station. 35-year-old victim taken to the hospital, treated for lacerations and spinal injuries. She's uh, she's She was hurt. She was able to talk to detectives, but she does not remember the attack. It comes... As the NYPD says crime is actually down, way down, down below. With the exception of 2021, the heart of the pandemic, this marks the third lowest year to the start of year when it comes to subway crimes in recorded history. Last week, Police Commissioner Sewell testified at the City Council and spoke of the 4 million rider benchmark that was recently eclipsed. This reflects increased rider confidence in the safety of the subway system and is proof positive of the investment of deployed police personnel. All right. Well, we applaud that the numbers are going down. Detectives still searching for the attacker. Subway riders say random shoving attacks are the reason they stay away from the edge of the platform now. No matter what, I mean, you always have to stand away from the edge. And you've got to look around, be aware of who's around you. Yeah. 
definitely. WABC News Time 539 out to Lakewood, New Jersey, where police continue to look for the people who tossed a lit explosive out of a car near a synagogue over the weekend. If you're not familiar with Lakewood, New Jersey, there's a large Orthodox Jewish community there. This happened Saturday around 9.30 p.m. I would think if they wanted to throw it at someone, they would have. And I was like, thank God they didn't because, you know, there were people around. And But maybe they wanted to scare people. Maybe they chickened out. I, I don't know. The police telling us that they ha- got a report of an explosion and a smoke condition from neighborhood resident. The neighbors said he saw two pickup trucks, one light in color, the other dark in color, traveling slowly on this road just before they heard some sort of explosion. A home security system captured what happened. It's hard to tell what's going on because it's nighttime. The local city council member, Lakewood Town, Council member uh, is trying to figure out what happened to The police department was out there. The canine unit was out there. Our detectives were out there. I know they're working uh, and been in touch with uh, some other partners as well in law enforcement. And they have not been able to determine what that device was. They think it was something like a firecracker, a firework, something along those lines. The good news is, is nobody was hurt. I would want to know who did it and what, what was behind it. You know, they're trying to test to see what goes on, how serious people will take it, to see what they want to do something worse. You know, hopefully, you know, God forbid. Yeah, let's hope they catch the dopes. 541. Jean Carroll seeking new damages today in her defamation lawsuit against former President Trump. Mark Mayfield has the details. The filing in New York on Monday came in response to Trump's comments on CNN earlier this month, which included labeling the accusations a fake story and calling her a whack job. A jury recently found Trump liable for sexually abusing Carol and defaming her. She also had accused him of raping her in the 1990s, but the jury said that Trump was not liable for rape. The former president was ordered to pay Carol $5 million. I'm Mark Mayfield. How many times has this happened to you where you open up the refrigerator and you wonder, is this still good? Like you bought something at the grocery store. It's been sitting in there for a couple days. Maybe it's hamburger meat. Maybe it's coleslaw. Maybe it's a quart of milk. You do usually the sniff test. You're like, okay. And then you decide, am I going to take my chances or, or just or not and pour this thing down the drain and you lose four or five bucks on the quarter milk or whatever it is you're, you're ready to dive into? Well, a mega supermarket chain is joining New Jersey Congressman Josh Godheimer's fight to fix misleading expiration dates on food products. It's Stu Leonard's, the famous grocery store. CEO Stu Leonard Jr. Jr. supports Godheimer's so-called fixing food labeling plan. One of the top questions we get asked all the time in the store is how long is this product good till? Um, uh, Dates are confusing. Yes, yeah, so I always assumed that the dates that were on the products were the dates that you should not eat it by. But in some cases, it's the products, it's the dates are on there. The expiration dates are the ones that the supermarket can't sell it after. I don't, there's no rhyme or reason to it in my head anyway, but the bill would require food and beverage manufacturers across the nation to standardize the expiration dates they put on packaged foods and cans, which seems like a good idea. So you have a sell-by date, which means a store has to sell it by that date. But a customer takes that home, has no clue how long that product is good for. Yeah, so do you have this? I have friends who say, oh, you can eat that, you know, and they leave it in the refrigerator for a while. I am one of those guys 
who I'm like, it's not worth it. I don't want to get sick. I'm going to dump it. If it looks a little funky, it's okay. I'll lose a couple bucks on it. But uh, Congressman Gottheimer says the U.S. wastes about 160 billion pounds of food each year because of these expiration dates. And um, he wants to, well, stop that. I try and buy what I know I'm going to be cooking or using in a short period of time just to avoid that whole, is it still good? Yeah, so uh, Gottheimer meeting with Stu Leonard Jr. at a store in Paramus yesterday. Uh, Hopefully, uh, I'm sure other supermarkets will get on board if they can come up with some sort of plan so people know it's time to throw something out or keep it in the refrigerator. And did you see yesterday Carmelo Anthony retiring from basketball, of course, the one-time New York Nick, who was awfully fun to watch when he was at Madison Square Garden. To the court where I made my name, to the game that gave me purpose and pride. But this bittersweet goodbye to the NBA, I'm excited about what the future holds for me. Yeah, Anthony making the announcement on social media yesterday. He was drafted by the Nuggets third overall in 2003, and then eventually he was traded here to the Knicks in 2011. It's not my feats on the court that come to mind. No awards or praise. Because my story has always been more than basketball. My legacy, my son. Yeah, he hadn't really played in, I think it's the last year he was on the Lakers, but had not played. So, uh, done. He said goodbye. The cities I represented with pride and the fans that supported me along the way. I am forever grateful for those people and places because they made me Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, he was awfully fun to watch. All right, 545, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk and Justin Ellick. He took care of that Carmelo Anthony news for me there, No, I did. Why were you going to do that story? Ah, I was going to just briefly mention it, but uh, yeah. Well, go ahead, go. briefly mention it. It's fine. Oh, Carmelo Anthony retires after 19 seasons in the NBA. I just said that. Oh, all right. <laughs> he was pretty good on the Knicks, you know. He had his he ups, did. he had his ups and downs on the Knicks, but I think in terms of uh, 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 points per game, he's like third or fourth all time or all time Knicks on the list. So uh, you know, I would argue that he was a better Nugget than he was a Knicks. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of a lot of people make that argument. Yeah. I mean, he was he was a lethal young uh, superstar. On the Nuggets, back when they used to wear those old uniforms, which I actually like better than their current ones. But either way, we're getting to your current day Denver Nuggets here. They beat the Los Angeles Lakers 113-111 to 111 in Game 4 of the Western Conference Finals to complete the sweep of L.A. and move on into the franchise's first ever NBA Finals appearance. LeBron James made waves following his squad's elimination from the playoffs, speaking on the possibility of his retirement this offseason following 20 historic NBA seasons. Here was... LeBron James after the game. You know, it's all about availability for me and um, keeping my mind sharp and things of that nature. It's challenging. It's challenging, you know, for sure. It was a very challenging season. We'll see. We'll see what happens going forward. And I don't know. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. And um, just for me personally, going going forward with the game of basketball. A lot to think about. Now, apparently he has a lot to think about. As for the Nuggets, they'll await the winner of the Heat and Celtics series to see who they'll tip it off with in the finals. Game 4 of that Eastern Conference Finals set for tonight at 8.30 p.m. in Miami with the Heat looking to put away Boston up three games to none. On the ice in Florida, the Panthers outlasted the Carolina Hurricanes 1-0 in Game 3 of the East Final to take a commanding three games to none series lead. As for the West Final, the Vegas Golden Knights and Dallas Stars will meet for Game 3 of that series tonight at 8 p.m. in Dallas, Vegas. 
currently holding a two-games to none series lead. And in baseball, the Mets and Yankees enjoyed off days yesterday and both get set to return to action tonight. The Yankees open up a big three-game set against the Baltimore Orioles in the Bronx tonight at 7.05 p.m. That'll be the ace and Garrett Cole getting the ball against Baltimore's Kyle Bradish. As for the Metropolitans, they'll get a three-game set against the Clubs under, uh, Cubs I should say, underway tonight in Chicago at 7.40 p.m. Eastern Time. Kodai Senga gets the nod against Chicago's Drew Smiley. Here with sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Allen. All right, let's catch you up on some of the bigger stories of the morning. The MTA proposing an increase to subway bus fares to 290 by Labor Day. It's a 15 cent increase from the current 275 base fare. First hike since 2019. No surprise. Riders don't like a it. A lot of stations are, you know, they're still dirty. You know, they're they're, they're not in commission as often. You know, it's a lot of. It's just, I don't see, I don't see the benefit in and raising the price right now. If that's what they feel they have to. Do, and I, I understand because I can't afford it. I'm sorry. I mean, I love you, but I'll be walking. Weekly Metro cards would increase a dollar to thirty-four dollars. Thirty-day uh, Metro cards would go up five bucks to one hundred and thirty-two dollars. Express bus fare would increase a quarter to seven dollars, and seven-day bus passes would increase two dollars to sixty-four bucks. It's a business, you know. what I'm saying everything is a business, so they're going to make their money one way or the other. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so. I know what you're saying. The, the MTA, by the way, telling us. They could have raised it a whole lot more. We should be happy. What they These did. small, frequent fare and toll adjustments, um, avert radical fare and toll um, fluctuations. That's good news. It will not be as high as it could have been. Yes, yeah, so they could get this money in September. Let's face it, they will get this money in September. Then congestion pricing could kick in next spring. Of course, the big story over the last seven days was the MTA told us they had lost a billion dollars or on track to lose a billion dollars this year in fare evasion. So is this price hike to make up for the people who don't pay? It's a fair question. We will ask the MTA. The other big story yesterday, the full Nassau County legislature approving the Nassau Coliseum lease transfer to the Las Vegas Sands yesterday, paving the way. This was late last night, actually, paving the way for the possible development of a casino and entertainment resort at the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale. Uh, the lawmakers sitting through five hours of public comment before they took their vote. That money stays here, doesn't go elsewhere, which means all the money that you guys generate can go to schools, can go to commitments to make sure that you can do everything you can to build your communities, to provide opportunities. These will not be permanent jobs, and these are not jobs that are going to keep our young people here in the county. 17 out of 19 lawmakers voted in favor of the lease transfer last night. The entertainment company's $4 billion proposal would include hotel rooms, restaurants, a performance space, and, of course, that casino. So they still have some obstacles to overcome, including zoning approval from the town of Hempstead. They also need a gaming license from the state to operate a casino. The company, however, says they plan to build a resort whether or not the license is given. And then we have a new entry into the race for the White House. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott making it official from his hometown of North Charleston, South Carolina yesterday. I'm running for president of the United States of America! Kind of a fun announcement yesterday. Scott reflecting on his upbringing, single parent household, claiming America is the land of opportunity, not oppression. He says he's going to keep his campaign positive. My mom was too busy. My dad wasn't there. 
I felt disillusioned and angry, and I was challenged, young man. And I felt like the weight of the world was accumulating on my shoulders. Thought is that Governor Ron DeSantis, Florida governor, will jump in this week. Governor, former Governor Chris Christie also expected to jump into 2024 before the week is out. And the other big story continues to be, of course, the migrants. Governor Hochul, Mayor Adams yesterday urging the federal government to quickly authorize working papers for these migrants so they can get jobs. We have one message. Let them work. They're ready to work. They're willing to work. And they're not able to work. The two speaking out dual press conference yesterday says there are thousands of farm jobs that could be filled. Food services jobs as well. Cleaning jobs. They say they would not be taking these away from New Yorkers because New Yorkers aren't filling those jobs. This is a great opportunity here in the state of New York to solve two problems. How to help these people get on their feet and support their families. And Governor Hoke will, meanwhile, criticizing some of the county government leaders for their fierce resistance to accept migrants here from New York City and their counties. Uh, Nassau has said no. Suffolk, no. Uh, Rockland County, too. Any rejection of migrants coming is also hurting their employers. And in rural areas, it's hurting their farmers. It's hurting their small businesses. but those counties say there's no chance they're going to one day sort of say open up and accept these migrants. They too costly, and they say it's New York City's problem. Five fifty four. A Pennsylvania girl doing okay after she was bitten by a shark along the Jersey Shore this past weekend. The fifteen year old was surfing Sunday afternoon off Stone Harbor when uh, the shark uh, held onto her foot. My whole body was basically in the water. I was just resting. And then I felt something on my foot, and it pulled me down underwater. It didn't hurt, but it felt pressure, and I felt the teeth all around the bottom of my foot. Like, my whole foot was in its mouth. Yeah, pretty frightening. She said she did everything to escape the grip of the shark. She was left with cuts on her left foot, her calf, that required stitches. But the good news is she's still alive. I was shaking my foot as hard as I could. It was hard. It was, like, really heavy. (laughs) Immediately felt the pain in my foot. And I looked at the back of my leg, and there was a big chunk of skin missing from the back of my leg. Yeah, all that been sewn up in the hospital while the beaches are still open down in Stone Harbor. Officials warning everyone to be cautious uh, because there's a shark out there, apparently, who's biting teenage girls. A 12-year-old boy is about to become the youngest ever graduate in the history of California's Fullerton College. Clovis Hung is graduating with five associate degrees this weekend and is planning to go for a sixth next year. He's 12 years old, which is awfully young to graduate college. What do you do after that? Just get a job at 13? I'm going to graduate with five degrees. Okay. Associate degree in history, right. associate degree in science, mm-hmm. uh, social science, uh, science and mathematics, arts and human expressions, uh, social behavior and self-development. That's just crazy. In uh, 2019, he began studying at Fullerton College as a special admit student at the age of nine. At the time, he had just left second grade. <laughs> really? I, I'm always amazed that the parents would sign on with this. I mean, yeah, I understand he's very bright, but college? Uh, the previous record for the youngest Fullerton College grad was held by a 13-year-old boy who graduated back in 2020. He beat that. They asked me questions like, how old are you? 
and what are you doing here? So I'll just answer them. I'm 12, and I'm taking classes with you. Yeah, the fellow classmates wondering who he was. Uh, his mother says she sometimes has to remind him that he's still a kid, but she's, of course, the one that agreed to let him go to college. I'm not a tiger mom, no. No, yeah. Yeah, not. actually, it's the opposite. <laughs> sometimes I just need to remind him to relax, take it easy. Yeah, you sound like a tiger mom if you're putting your 11-year-old, 9-year-old in college after second grade. I mean, that's, that's crazy. WABC time check, 559, sponsored by Bull Level Watches. Discover finely crafted timepieces available at Macy's. Let's find out what's happening on Sid and Friends in the Morning, the Tuesday edition from Justin Ellick. Uh, thank you, Norm. Late in, yes, indeed. Your Tuesday edition, sitting friends in the morning, right around the corner here. Uh, bottom of each hour, you don't want to miss the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day today featuring Dominic Carter. Uh, in the way of guests, Gnome, 640 this morning, George Grasso, 705 this morning, Curtis Sliwa, 740, Bo Deedle, 810, Naomi Rosenberg, Sid's dear mother, 825. We'll do some nuggets with Gnome late in 840. RDI Dalla and 905 this morning, Noma Louis Molina. It's a big Tuesday morning show coming right at you very shortly. Sounds very big. All right, we're out of here on this Tuesday morning. We'll do it all over again tomorrow at 5. Don't go anywhere now, though. Yeah, Sid and Friends in the morning, they are up next. <laughs>